really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby union. I am your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, I'd love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter. I'm at, I'm at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast, and you can always drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. As you will recall from last week, we're doing a slightly new format now, and that means uh, we're only going to spend a lot of time on one fixture in particular, and this week it had to be Racing 92 versus La Rochelle. What a showdown. I can't wait to get to it. And, uh, you know, in all honesty, I think I ended up spending some extra time on all the European contests, so I hope that still counts as sort of tightening things up. So it was another busy week, so with all the admin out of the way, let's get the show rolling. So starting off with current updates, as most of you know, I have been long-term subbing for an English teacher here at my school. You know, She was out on maternity leave, but she's due to return on May 23rd, so I've only got one week left. So naturally, exactly as you'd expect, I've finally gotten the hang of it right in time to stop. You know, each week during these three months, I've gotten better, more comfortable, and just more sort of in control of the situation. And now I'm genuinely bummed to not have these five classes of terrible, horrible monsters anymore. In all seriousness, uh, there are definitely behavioral issues with many of them, but they're seventh graders and it's, you know, they're just kind of batshit by nature. You know, they're also good kids at heart and even the troublemakers are sincerely contrite when, you know, when you call them out. It started out pretty rocky, as my listeners will remember, but now, you know, I'm a little sad to be closing this particular chapter. So if you can spare any, you know, good vibes or if you have any luck lying around somewhere, just please send something my way so I can find something permanent. I think I am finally ready. Well, Isa, I don't know if it's good news or not, but uh, if it's real, it's definitely news. So I saw that rugby bosses are poised to hold key discussions on Tuesday, which should be today. I, I got up at, you know, five in the morning to record this today in case my voice sounds a little weird. Um, they're due to, met, uh, due to meet over the proposal to radically shake up the international calendar and introduce a new glo- global competition to be staged every two years. So representatives from the Six Nations, Sanzar, South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, and Argentina rugby, and World Rugby are poised to uh, meet for crucial talks in Dublin over a biennial North versus South competition, which would fully launch in 2026. It would be the world's biggest overhaul since the dawn of professionalism in 1995. By the way, I was today years old when I learned what Sanzar stands for. <laughs> I swear to God, I thought they were just, you know, an investment company or something. Anyway, hopefully, none of you listeners are actually relying on me for information. That would be obviously a catastrophic mistake on your part. So back to the article linked, as always, in my show notes. Uh, the competition, which would not be played in World Cup or British and Irish Lions years, is a revamp of the nation's championship, which was proposed in 2019. While that was doomed to failure, a well-placed source said the latest format has been, quote, broadly agreed by all parties, unquote, including the players. In 2019, there was significant opposition from the players' union uh, amid welfare welfare concerns, and while there are still hurdles to overcome, there is optimism progress will be made this week. The competition would involve the Six Nations, England, France, Ireland, uh, Italy, Scotland, and Wales. 
in the north, while Australia, Argentina, Fiji, New Zealand, and South Africa would be joined in the south by Japan, even though it is in the northern hemisphere. Didn't know that, actually. It's kind of, kind of feel dim right now. Anyway, European teams would play three matches on their summer tours against three different opponents and face the remaining three southern nations at home in November. The top two in each pool would meet each other in a, in a fourth week in November, and it is understood that there is some support for a finals day involving all teams, rather than a single fixture between the top two sides. Remaining stumbling blocks include the fact that there are only three official test weeks in November at present. A finals day would require four, and need agreements over player release from the French and English clubs. Insiders believe, however, that because of greater ongoing collaboration with the clubs, there is likely to be less opposition from the Premiership and the top 14 than three years ago. So, I know lots of people have lots of hard and fast opinions about this. But, you know, as your neutral observer here in the U.S., I'm quite happy to sit back and see where these particular chips fall. Very interesting stuff. I hope to learn more very soon, especially if that meeting is today. So, thoughts of the week. I think you probably all know what I've been thinking about this week, at least, you know, from last Thursday onward. The United States of America has been awarded the 2031 and 2033 Rugby World Cups. Oh, my gosh. So there are scant details at the moment, of course, unsurprisingly, but I'm still very excited. With the ongoing uh, success of the MLR, I think the Eagles will be in a much better place to make noise in that tournament than they're going to be in France, for instance, even if we make it in. Uh, By the way, what a bitter pill that would be if Chile plays Scotland, learns valuable lessons about international rugby while we're just laying fallow, and then they use that newfound acumen to sort of keep us out of the tournament. Ugh, I just, I have to stop thinking about that now. In any event, I know it's silly to be excited for something that is nine plus years away, but I I can't help it. I hope a venue in Boston is chosen as one of the sites. That would be unbelievable. So moving on to our reviews and keeping with our new format, we're looking at the games this weekend in chronological order, which means we're starting with Super Rugby Pacific. In fact, you know what? That'll always be the case considering they're 12 or 13 hours ahead of us at any given time. Anyway, kicking off the weekend was my Highlanders at home to face the Western Force. And my boys, they really came out firing, you know, but by the time halftimes had arrived, things were still well within reach. It was 28 to 10. Uh, the momentum very much stayed with the home side in the second half, and I was actually excited to see Fakatava coming in much earlier than normal, rewarding his team with yet another try within just minutes, and things were really starting to mount in favor of my Highlanders. Entering the final quarter, it was 49-10, to 10, and it was hard to see this one turning around for the visitors, that's for sure. You know, perhaps sensing this, the force, they started getting too aggressive and trying a little too much, surrendering, surrendering a yellow and then a red in what was looking like a lost cause. They would give up two more tries in just the final two minutes. My guys, they got their most convincing win of the year, 61-10 to 10 at the end. Lovely little side note, uh, Daniel Leonard Brown got his 100th cap for the Highlanders in this match, so they gave him the chance to add the extras after the final try. I love it when teams do that. He'd go on to miss it, of course, but the team just mobbed him anyway. Great stuff and a great start to the weekend. Loved it. So next up, we had an incredible matchup, on paper at least, with Crusaders hosting the Brumbies. And while they did put up a good fight, you know, it never really felt like Brumbies were in it. It felt like like Crusaders were up by 11 the entire way. Uh, The crowd really felt like Angus Gardner was favoring the Kiwis all day. And I agree there were some questionable calls or no calls. But in the end, 
Crusaders, they were just better. Just getting huge defensive stops when they needed the most, showing just enough of that lightning strike firepower to keep ahead the whole 80 minutes. Severis had a great game in his 50th appearance for the Crusaders, and they would walk away victorious 26-37 to by the end. And after that, my friends, of course, the next match was all the way back up here, right in Quincy, Massachusetts. I, of course, was on hand for the lovely beer fest slash game slash fireworks. And once again, as always, the atmosphere was electric for my beloved Free Jacks, who were taking on a dangerous but unpredictable Atlanta team. So most teams seem to have their fixtures with us starred and in boldface on their calendars. So I went into this one fully expecting a massive battle. As it turned out, that's exactly what we got. With yet another last-minute Slade McDowell try, the saving grace, putting things out of reach very late, it just can't get any more nerve-rattling in Quincy if I intend to survive this season. It's getting crazy. So our boys, they just have so much grit, so much attitude, so much confidence on defense. It's an awesome sight to behold. Fort Quincy is our bastion. It's honestly so great as a fan to be part of this magical season. You know, Phil recently interviewed me on the Jacks Rangers podcast, and one of the things he asked was, you know, after all this, if we get bounced in the first round or after the first game of the playoffs, is this season still a success? And for me, the answer is a resounding yes. We're on a magic carpet ride right now. I'm, I'm, I'm becoming increasingly aware that things will be a lot different next year with players, with staff, all sorts of people deeply involved, potentially moving on to other ventures. I want to be sure I enjoy every single moment of this incredible ride. Yet again, you know, special thanks to all the players and coaches and staff who have made themselves available to chat here on the pod, and to all the fans who have made the experience in person so special. I am truly privileged to be a Free Jacks fan in 2022. In the end, we did win. It was 15 to 10. With each successive win, I feel more nervous. <laughs> Just not sure how to put my finger on it. Uh, lovely side note, though. So as you know from listening, each home game is, is like a themed festival of some sort. This week it was superheroes. So before kickoff, I found a couple of free jacks just sort of out wandering the grounds and managed to buttonhole Harry Barlow and Terrell uh, Peta. I had intentionally worn my Highlanders jersey, hoping for exactly this sort of moment. And sure enough, Terrell kind of grabbed it and said, wrong jersey, mate. And I said, no, it isn't. It's Superhero Week, and I'm Aaron Smith. And that got a huge smile out of him. So mission accomplished. What a season. Love it. So after that, it was three more Super Rugby Pacific fixtures in a row, starting with a clash of expansion franchises with Moana Pacifica taking on the Fijian Drua, though neither team were physically home for this one. So the Drua, they looked dominant the whole way, taking down their opposition 34-19. It never looked particularly close in this one. Fijian Drua, y'all are a very fun team to watch. After that, we had a battle of the primary colors with Reds visiting Blues, and as I feared, you know, it was a blowout. The home team more than yeah the home team more than doubling up their guests it was 53 to 26 by the final whistle in this one got my little uh home and away confused there just for a split second um then we had a very interesting matchup between the hurricanes and the waratahs i was expecting some good things from the taws on this day i don't know why i even wrote that but that that was right there in my notes so if nothing else they found a way to keep the canes from ever having the ball which is a pretty good way to keep scores low and after the first quarter hour they had something ridiculous like 97% possession and territory. Just crazy. So it was a 10-0 lead for the Taz after the first quarter. But Hurricanes hadn't yet found their groove. <clears throat> I didn't see this one staying this way. Something was bound to shift. After the clock had gone red in the first half, they had an easy chance to get their first points. But Jordy, he managed to doink it off the upright. And they went back uh, into the break completely empty-handed. So Hurricanes, they were first to score in the second half, however. And the Taz looked to me like they were just running out of steam a bit. 
Uh, Jordy found the range shortly thereafter, and then they burst open the doors with a beautifully worked try in the corner. Things were all level heading into the final quarter. Wartas needed to get it together to survive this one, and thus far in the second half, they have shown us absolutely At long last, Waratahs, they got a penalty and regained the lead just after a horrifying collision that just looked like it could have been a broken leg, but the player did leave his field, uh, the field on his own feet after a, a bit of a delay. Very relieved about that one. It was ugly. Uh, so with only a few minutes remaining, real-life superhero Artie Savia smashed through for a go-ahead try. The Waratahs might just have seen their last chance slip away. They were down four with four minutes to go, and then a shocking red card for Patty Ryan. That might have been the deal sealer. And then, my word, never seen such a screw-up. So the Taz number four tried a goal-line dropout and shanked it so badly it went out inside their own in-goal area. Just a, a mind-blowing blunder. Just incredible. So this gave Hurricanes a scrum five with the clock already in the red. They would hang on to win 18-22. to What a bizarro ending. So, after that, it was, of course, back to Europe. Not yet for the Heineken Cup, but for the Pabst Blue Ribbon semifinal with Lyon hosting Wasps. Heineken? Fuck that shit! Pabst Blue Ribbon! <laughs> oh, sorry for the language right there. Frank Booth from Blue Velvet just walked by. Anyway, for starters, they called Lyon France's second city, which is not something I'd heard before. They also mentioned it was almost 30 degrees out, making it close to 90 by our, by our weird reckoning here in the U.S. And you could see the wavy heat rating off the pitch. Woof! Johnny Beatty, who I love both on his pod and on comms, declared, the heat will destroy you, which seemed pretty definitive. Uh, by the way, any listeners with experience, which is better, playing in freezing cold or playing in, you know, mirage-level heat? Please let me know. I would love to hear your stories. Anyway. While the temperatures soared, the points stayed low, with Wasps taking a small lead into the hopefully air-conditioning lockers, 3-8. to eight. Uh, The first scoring in the second half came through Leo Berdu, who they said is the leading point scorer in the top 14 this year, but this was quickly followed by a reverse penalty, giving Wasps the lead once again. Very, very tight, just as I had hoped. 10-11, favoring the visitors after maybe 55 minutes. Heading towards the final quarter of play, the home side held a six-point lead, though Leon had left six points out there with two missed kicks in a row. The sweat was pouring off the players in a constant salty waterfall. In typically English fashion, the comms said, well, this is a fairly decent start to your European semifinal weekend, and yes, I, I somewhat agree a bit. What? Uh, wasps, they seemed intent on setting some sort of record for really bad and really badly timed knock-ons, coughing it up for the thousandth time with only about a minute and a half remaining, and down two, just absolutely fan-killing stuff. In another semi-shocking call by Frank Murphy, it looked like Wasps had turned it over and would have one last gasp from deep, but he announced there had been yet another knock-on, giving the ball to Lyon, and with the clock in the red blowing those fatal two blasts on the whistle, the story ended for Wasps, with the final score 20-18. to 18. If I heard correctly earlier, this would give Lyon their first significant final in 89 years, though they didn't really elaborate on that. Amazing stuff. What a start to the semis for them, or as I like to think we should call them, the Rondrundras. So, the first Heineken Cup semifinal was after that. I was properly geeked up for this one. It featured the slaughterhouse that is Leinster at home to take on reigning champions to lose. Side note, the Heineken Cup has existed since 1995, making it 27 years old this year. And out of those results, these two teams account for nine championships. That is sick. What a stat. Literally one-third of the time, either Leinster or Toulouse will win the Cup. That's almost insane when you think about it. So... At the 50-minute mark, James Lowe, 
dotted down to try to extend a rather large Leinster league uh, lead, and they just looked fully in control at that point. I had to wonder out loud how different this game would have been if it had been played in France. But in Dublin, it looked like the champs had no answers. Is this Leinster juggernaut poised to win Europe and the URC back-to-back? If so, which player will fill the Andy Good role and go on a three-day bender while still wearing his uniform? That's what we got to know, people. <laughs> With 15 minutes left in the match, Leinster, they looked too powerful, too dominant, holding on to a 20-point margin and Toulouse just seeming to do nothing right. On one hand, if any team could quickly drop three tries on you in Europe, Toulouse would have to be that team. But on the other hand, if you only have one try after 65 minutes, how are you going to get three in 15 you know, as if listening to me, Toulouse mauled one into the corner and you could see the confidence returning. But in my notebook, I refused to cross out the line too little, too late. Toulouse, they did that thing again where they, they brought in a new guy to play nine minutes, but they didn't take out DuPont. Uh, I'm sorry, they, to, to play number nine, not nine minutes. Uh, so they had two nines in again. They've done this t- two weeks in a row. I'm starting to wonder if we're going to see some of this kind of thing in the next World Cup. Is that something they're sort of testing out for us here? Anyway, Leinster, they added a penalty and then got an insult to injury try with only seconds remaining. The reigning champs had been vanquished with the Irish Goliath stamping every opposition and their own tickets to Marseille. Boy, am I lucky that I don't gamble. <laughs> an impressive 40-17 to 17 win at the Aviva. And Racing, you know, they had a real problem on their hands today. Oh my gosh, Leinster, they look really good. So after that, it was back to the Miller Genuine Draft Cup semis uh, with what I called likely sacrificial lambs too long, earning the honor of a visit from the rebuilt Death Star Saracens. Of course, as my listeners will know, I'm a bit of an idiot, and my predictions rarely hold water. In this case, Saracens, they found themselves losing quite behind the eight ball coming on to 50 minutes. The score is surprising 15 to 13. Anyone's game, obviously. And the fact that the series I wrote hadn't stomped on too long gave me hope for the French host's Close to the 60-minute mark, I thought it showed a ton of confidence on the part of Saracens to go for points, and they were uh, they were rewarded coming within two points, seemingly resting the momentum from the iron grip of their host. But no, an absolutely spectacular try from a former Sevens player makes the Saracens' defense look childish and put the lead surely beyond reach. The comps pointed out that Toulon had basically hit rock bottom, but in the subsequent turnaround of fortunes, they had won 10 of their last 13 in all competitions, and I was mixing up the Kool-Aid and getting ready for a nice long draft. Uh, at this stage, the ref very helpfully <laughs> looked at Saracens and said, discipline. And then he turned to the home team and said, le discipline. And you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> I love that. That might have been the best moment of the match. Anyway, after several missed opportunities by the series, the home team would advance 25-16. to 16, And the comms point out both English teams on the day found their ways to the exits. First Wasps and now Saracens. And when they put it that way, you know, it felt pretty special. So all these fixtures had happened my time through Saturday afternoon, which of course left the evening open for more MLR action. We kicked things off with Toronto at home for Dallas, and all of the home teams seemed really ready to ready to go this weekend. Toronto, they trounced the Dallas Jackals by 57 in a shutout. NOLA more than doubled up DC, getting the victory 50-21, to and Houston squeaked out a close win 31-27 to in Houston. On Sunday, in the wee small hours, this round of Super Rugby Pacific wrapped up with Chiefs traveling to Melbourne to face the Rebels. And the Chiefs, they were wearing their gorgeous away kit for this year. It's got to be the best look in all of Super Rugby right now. 
Rebels, they weren't up to too much in the first half, but a beautifully read intercept try right at the end meant it was a it was a 10 to 12 going into the lockers. Ultimately, the rest went right according to the script. However, the home team showed a ton of heart and eventually grabbed a lead, only to see it snatched away with a Chiefs try with literally 15 seconds left in the match. You could feel the bottom just completely fall out of the crowd all at once. Just a disaster after so much hard work. 30 to 33 was your final score. Rebels don't seem to know how to get out of their own way. They they mean it. They might need I don't know a priest or a witch doctor at this point. Man, oh man, they are you know they are to Super Rugby Pacific what dragons are to the URC. Of course, the big match on Sunday was the last semifinal for this for this year's Heineken Cup, featuring Racing ninety two against La Rochelle. I mentioned earlier, Racing looked to have a you know a real problem on their hands with Leinster, but of course that was me assuming Racing were going to win, and we would have to see because once again. All predictions wrong or your money back. So, folks, Rassing, they even trotted out a very fit-looking Dan Carter at the beginning of the match just to underline the gravity of this event. By the way, you know, I just watched that little documentary about Dan Carter in the last couple weeks. Holy crap, is that man boring. In any event, uh, I don't know if it was the heat or nerves, but the opening of this match was was fairly sloppy with Rassing drawing first blood. By the way, their flanker, Anton Bresler, he looks like the rhythm guitarist in a Leonard Skinner cover band, but I decided not to hold it against him. But I got my eye on you, pal. <laughs> anyway, Rassing got the first try of the day around 27 minutes with scrum half Nolan McGarrick getting the conversion, and they casually mentioned that he turned 20 years old yesterday. Dang. So unrelated, I've said it before and I'll say it again now, Teddy Toma never should have shaved his head. I, I promise I'll never mention it again. No more than like 14 more times in the next couple months. Anyway, La Rochelle had already missed a gimme kick and had a try disallowed. So if things were even the tiniest bit different, it would have been tied. But that's the way this game goes sometimes. Finn Russell was playing a very odd game, just not confident in his decision making right now. So my, my partner and I, we're, we're theater people. We often talk about the unities. This is a concept from Aristotle's Poetics. You want unity of action, place, and time. And somehow Finn seems like he's in a different play than all the other performers. His actions in the places he finds himself and the timing of his moves all give the impression he's just working from a different script altogether. Sometimes that's cool, but today, not so much. Anyway, around 35 minutes, there was a frightening head injury with the player on the receiving end literally staggering around like a cartoon drunk. Even the, the comms said, this shouldn't be an HIA. This should be a permanent removal automatically. And they were preaching to the choir, baby. So another side note, there's an angle from which the Rassing kit looks like a, a can of Budweiser, just so you know. In any event, it was a tight one at the half, Rassing ahead by two, 10 to eight. By the way, it looked like an unbelievably gorgeous day out too. What a day for rugby in general. In the second half, Rassing replaced two front rowers, which was a surprise. Most teams sort of wait until the 50 or 60 minute mark to pull the trigger, but this is a club that does things their own way, to be sure. Uh, Ihaya West missed another kick at that point, failing to get his team a lead and totaling six points left unclaimed thus far. The comms were hoping but doubting he could shake it off. Definitely a shock with two very easy ones going astray. So Kamishat, or as I call him, the Kamikat, seemed to successfully pick a fight within the side of the Rassing 22, but play kept on and the cameras never caught it. Just another fracas in the land of theoretical eventualities. So, quote, we all know that Rassing score their tries in one or two, three, uh, one to three phases. They are a quick strike team, unquote, said the comms. And I, I didn't know that. Maybe we could have brought this up earlier. I mean, one to three phases? Holy cow. Come on. Anywho, the Kami Cat 
He earned himself a trip to the litter box with his continued overly aggressive play. And I was just fully all in. What a match to round out the Rundrandras. So, too many penalties from Rossing. The ref finally carded them, adding a penalty try. La Rochelle had the lead with 25 minutes to go. Rassing now had two players in the bin. All signs except history were pointing towards La Rochelle. Wow, what a match. First miss of the day for Legarek as we get another shot of a fan wearing a freaking Yankees cap. I mean, do you even watch baseball, dude? Stop it. So, the score hadn't moved in some time. It was 13-15 to 15 favoring the so-called visitors. It doesn't get much better than this. So, two men down and into the final quarter. Rassing kept getting penalties awarded their way, but La Rochelle, in what I have to assume is a stunner, added a final unconverted try to finish the match victorious, 13-20. to 20. And this is exactly what I signed up for when I started watching Europe. Holy crap, what good stuff. So, Major League Rugby. They wrapped up the weekend with two Sunday fixtures, starting with New Jersey at home to face Seattle, and Hoboken RFC were, again, more than up to the task, taking down the completely unknowable Seawolves. And finally, San Diego welcomed the reigning champs to the sports deck and defied my predictions, as they so often do, coming away with a win, 31-27. to Very tight one, that. Oh, also, folks, there were actually two makeup derbies for the URC this weekend. And so while they're completely out of order chronologically here, I did feel like I should touch on them. So Benetton, they were at home and smacked around Zebra to the tune of 39-17. And Dragons were home to take on Cardiff. Ugh. A very strange and ugly bit of officiating at the end of this one. The refs couldn't decide where a mark was for a penalty, going back and forth between a very kickable spot and a completely out-of-range spot. And, and then this is, of course, with the Dragons down, only a single point hoping to kick this. Eventually, they decided on the kickable spot. But this is the Dragons, folks, so they missed it anyway, falling to their guests 18-19. to 19, Just another kick in the nads for this team. Of course, that music tells you it's time for this week's Diamond in the Rock, and this week we're giving it to the magnificent Bodine Walker. I know, I know, it's a bit of an obvious sort of fanboy choice, but I, I simply don't care. The man has been our MVP all season long. I'm just too happy with how things are going right now to award it to anyone else this week. I was very lucky to have a chance to chat with the man himself at a recent uh, a Free Jack sort of founding members event that we had. And I asked him if he hoped to switch back to fullback, the position he traditionally plays over in the NPC. And his very thoughtful response was, if you'd asked me a year ago, I would have said yes, absolutely. But now I feel like I've figured it out and I'm really enjoying running the show. And good sir, we are very much enjoying the same thing. Mr. Waka, you are the bearer of the lantern that is our logo. And while I would never take anything away from any of our amazing other players, you have been the prime mover in this incredible campaign. And I believe I speak for all fans when I say thank you. We are just so grateful for all you do. Bodine Waka, my friend, you are the lucky winner of this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. Congratulations and well done, my friend. So that brings us to our updates and previews. Okay, the European competitions go dormant until Friday and Saturday, May 27th and 28th. The 27th, of course, is the final for the Genesee Cream Ale Cup, featuring Lyon at home to take on the, the dreamlike run of RC Toulon. Should be amazing, for sure. And obviously Saturday brings us the long-awaited Heineken Cup final, which this year is between Leinster, who are without their home field advantage because the finals are in Marseille, but they will still be favorites to face La Rochelle. And I apologize if you can hear the drool hitting the microphone right now. 
<laughs> so with Europe on hold, we're right back to our regularly scheduled programs, with the URC offering its final round of the year and the Prem drawing dangerously near its own conclusion, starting with the Ultimate Rugby Championship. By the way, I think that's the first time I've ever actually said the full name. Uh, none of these final fixtures can have any effect on which teams make the playoffs, but it could impact home field in a couple of cases. So on Friday, we'll have, we'll have the Eyesore Bowl, with Benetton hosting Cardiff, followed by a far more serious clash between Ulster and the Sharks, followed shortly thereafter by Ospreys versus Bulls in Swansea. Uh, on Saturday, that sputtering cough you'll hear will be the death rattle of the Dragons' season as they face the Lions at home. Connacht, my guys, they will look to end on a high note versus Zebre, with Scarlets hosting uh, the Stormers starting soon after that one. The exciting match, of course, will be the capper for the 1872 Cup between Edinburgh and Glasgow. Uh, I see they've scheduled it for Murrayfield rather than the goddamn health stadium. Uh, must be expecting a big turnout for that one. So to finish off the round, uh, the weekend, and the first regular season of this reimagined league, it will be Leinster back in Dublin from Munster. And my gut feeling is we'll see several new faces for that one. So then, quick refresher for where we are in the Premiership. There are two final round, uh, rounds remaining with teams jockeying for just four playoff spots. If the season ended right now, those teams would be Leicester, Saracens, Harlequins, and I'm surprised to say Northampton. If I had done my math right, no. T- if I have done my math right, no teams can overtake either Leicester or, or or the Saracens. But if some very very unlikely results come about, Gloucester, Exeter, Sale, London Irish, and even Wasps could, in theory, earn their way into the three or four spot. I, I can't imagine that happening. It would involve the best teams not getting more than a single point over these last two fixtures. But for fans, you know, hope springs eternal, right? So this coming week, it'll be on Friday, Bristol versus Exeter and Wasps versus Sale. On Saturday, Bath face London Irish. Harlequins will host Gloucester. Ooh, that'll be good, actually. Uh, Newcastle, they take on the uh, league-leading Tigers, and Saracens are home for Northampton. So that one has potential to trigger a shockwave or two. Anyway, down in Super Rugby Pacific on Friday, it's Crusaders versus the Fijian Drua. It'll be Reds versus Moana Pacifica. On Saturday, we'll have Chiefs versus the Western Force, Hurricanes versus the Rebels, and Brumbies versus Blues. Wow, is that going to be good. Wow. Uh, finally, on Sunday, my struggling Highlanders will take on the Taz. Good luck to my boys for that one. And of course, back home here in the MLR, it appears my Free Jacks have a short week and have to play Toronto in Canada on Thursday night. That's just two nights from right now. I hadn't really noticed that before. It seems very odd. In any case, the rest of the week's action is still all on Saturday. D.C., home for Houston. Dallas hosting L.A. NOLA, back of the gold mine for San Diego. I believe this is the last weekend any teams get buys as well, so the league table should look nice and even right after this. Well, my friends, that does it for another week. Thank you so much for listening and for reaching out and for your recent suggestions. You know, it's always great to hear from you. So I hope keeping things sort of quicker and tighter this week was a good idea. Thanks for checking out the new format. I'm very happy with it so far. As always, if you'd like to get in touch, you can use Twitter, at of Scrum. You can find me at the Scrum of the Earth podcast on Instagram. You can always email me via the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. If you can bring yourself to drop me a nice review, that would really help grow the show. I would really appreciate that. And if you like what we're doing here, there is a way you can show your support listed in the show notes for this very episode. So thank you again for coming along, all of you across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon. And be well. Oh,
Oh. Frank's here. <laughs> 